Yeah, great. Well, it's good to be with you this morning after, uh, well, nine weeks it's been and we've been uh, gallivanting around this great nation of Australia, having a marvellous time. Uh, many of you no doubt would have caught up on social media, put up a number of pictures on Facebook and uh, and Instagram and the like. And uh, so I won't bore you with showing you photos or anything this morning, but uh, we had a marvellous time. I have to say, uh, God has placed us in one of the greatest nations on the earth in more ways than one. And I'm so pleased to, uh, uh, to live in this great land. We, uh, I saw more of it, truly. I, I saw more of this, this nation in the last two months than the previous 50 years. And uh, it took me 50 years to get to some of these places. But uh, finally, we got there, and I'm so pleased that we took the time to do it and so pleased that you allowed us to do so and so thankful that um, you know that uh, there is such a depth of, of leadership in this church the church didn't miss a beat you did better without me so why don't we thank Pastor Tim and, and Kath and uh, and Brett I see you there too I didn't see you before looking for you and uh, and well, of course Pastor Mark and Adam and Angie and all, all the team did such a, a great job that uh, I came back and you know you come back and you expect a few things to be on your desk but there was virtually nothing there so that was great so I thought we'd go away again and uh, brilliant um, it's an important day today uh, as has already been alluded to uh, it's something we do annually our, our vision offering um, but it's not just an important day for our church it's actually an important moment uh, for our nation uh, right now, and I don't know how many of you have been aware of this, you know, I've been reading the newspapers a little bit and just sort of keeping an eye on it these last few weeks, but I don't know, I can't recall a time in the, the history of, of my understanding anyhow of this nation where the, the Judeo-Christian uh, ethic, uh, the moral moorings, if you, will, of our, if you would, of our society are under attack in such a full frontal way as they are under attack right now. Um, as Canberra, uh, as our parliament is recalled uh, after the winter break, uh, as they go back to Canberra this week, it's going to be very interesting to watch as uh, we are seeing things that have never really been seen before. As uh, uh, backbenchers are going to put a gun to the head of our prime minister in a political sense to try to push an agenda. Now, uh, you need to know that the, uh, the, the gay marriage agenda is more uh, than just the issue that is at hand. Um, this is about the, 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 the muddying of ma masculine and feminine identities. Uh, this is about a pathway into chaos. What this is actually about is your heart. And it's very important that you are alert. It's very important that you are awake um, subtle terms like marriage equality as opposed to the redefinition of marriage. Uh, very subtle, but very powerful words that are used to captivate, to capture your heart down a certain track. And so this morning as we uh, embark on our, our annual vision offering, uh, I, I want to talk to you about your heart because it's all about your heart. The heart of the matter is your heart in the matter. Make no mistake. This is about the captivating of hearts of people and, and things like vision offering really are all about the same thing. They're all about the heart of the person. Now, you know, I, I believe in giving to needs and giving to causes and 
you know, the last few weeks, no doubt you've seen this here about what we do as a, uh, as a church in feeding homeless people and getting involved in the schools and on the streets of our city. And these, these are important ministries that need to be supported and funded. Make no mistake about that. I completely uh, am one with that notion. However, there is something as important, in fact, more important then the resourcing of ministries and the, uh, the standing up for moralities that is important that we do, but more important than that is the heart we hold behind that. More important than standing up for what is right is to make sure that your heart is right in the standing up for what is right. And clearly, you know, you, you can give and you can do all kinds of things from different types of motives. You can give out of a sense of duty. I have to do it. You can give out of a sense of external kind of compulsion. You know, well, I guess I need to do it. Or you can give from a heart that is sold out to Christ. You can give from a spirit of grace, of generosity, which kind of looks like this. I get to do it. I don't have to do it, right? I don't need to do it, but I actually get to do it. And these are, these are progressions. This is not something I have to do. It's not something that I need to do. It's actually, for me, something that I get to do. This is all about attitude, and this attitude or this heart is, uh, is displayed for us perhaps no more clearly than in the second book of Corinthians um, chapter 8, where I, where I want to just take a reading here and contrast this with something else this morning to reveal to us this, this heart, this grace of God that so profoundly affects those who enter into this relationship with the Holy Spirit that we've been singing about this morning. Um, Paul writes uh, concerning this church in, um, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse one, he says, uh, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So he's, he's saying to brothers and sisters, there's a, a, a clear bringing in of both, both genders. He wants us all to be involved. There's not 52, there's two brothers and sisters, and that's it. Uh, he says, I want you to know about something. Now, I, I need you to get this. He doesn't just want you to get the information. We want to tell people about God, not so that they know about God, but so that they know God. He doesn't want you to know about this grace. He wants you to experience this grace. But the only way you can experience anything is to at least know about it. And so he's introducing them to a grace through knowledge. But that's not the goal. The goal is not the transference of information. The goal is to lead people into an experience. He talks about this experience, this, this, this generosity, this, this church at Macedonia that had this grace of giving upon them. Now, I want to just draw your attention to the fact that wherever the Holy Spirit moves, that is the end result. Um, you go back to the book of Acts, you can see the first uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You see people selling their properties, right? Giving not out of their surplus, not giving what they can afford, 
but divesting themselves of assets, taking the resources from that and laying it at the apostles' feet. What drove them to do that? They didn't do it because they had to. They didn't do it because they were forced to. They did it because they wanted to. And there seems to me to be something about the, uh, the moving of the Holy Spirit. You can always tell where someone has experienced the Holy Spirit. It's not necessarily because they speak in tongues, because you can learn that. You can, you can, you can, some people make it up, actually. It's not necessarily because they can manipulate you through so-called words, but it's because they have a life of giving, a life of generosity. The two seem synonymous, and we see it in the book of Acts in a profound way that affected its whole society. Now, I've come across this, and this is amazing. Um, many of you in this room, or maybe some of you in this room, will be familiar with Emperor Constantine. Emperor Constantine lived 300 years after Christ, and he was the emperor of Rome, and he basically made Christianity the Roman religion. But after Constantine, not every other um, emperor was as predisposed towards Christianity. And in particular, Julian the Apostate, he was known as. Julian the Apostate. So this is, this is like several hundred years after Christ. We're in about four or five hundred years after Christ. Um, he wanted to take Rome back to its pagan roots, right? He, he hated the Christian thing. He hated Christianity. He hated all, you know, anything. He, he wanted to take people back into some kind of, um, of uh, anti-God, pagan-type environment. Uh, not unlike, may I say, um, not unlike there are uh, people in authority and power today who disdain Christianity, who hate what we stand for, and who are trying to lead us back into some kind of anti-God, anti-religious uh, you know, society. Now, what I find remarkable is what stood in Julian's way. In fact, I've got a letter of his I'm going to read to you. This is a letter, this is obviously, you know, nearly 2,000 years old now, or 1,500 years old now, but this was his angst. This was his pain. This was why he couldn't move his, you know, society to some kind of pagan position. He says this. He says, why do we observe that it is there, the Christians he's referring to, benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the pretended holiness of their lives that, have done, that, that has done nothing more to increase the disbelief of our pagan gods. He goes on and says, this is disgraceful. <laughs> These jolly Christians, it's their generosity of spirit that's standing in my way. <laughs> I want to lead this... This, this, this empire back to paganism, but no one will follow me because everyone's enamored by these generous, loving Christians. Oh, they're so annoying. <laughs> How many know that right now we need that kind of revival in the church of Australia? <laughs> I'm all for, you're gonna hear me, I'm all for standing up for what's right, Okay. And a Monday week at Whitehill Church, um, the, uh, the Australian Christian Lobby are getting all the potential people who are running for mayor in Ipswich and going to ask them questions. And I'm going to be there. 
Uh, I encourage you to be there, okay? I think we've got to do what we have to do from a political activism point of view. And I'm going to be writing to the Prime Minister uh, this week about this whole thing as well. And, you know, like, I, I don't, we can't put our head in the sand and just do nothing. Don't get me wrong. We have to do what we have to do. And we, we have to be active. We have to be involved in activism. But you need to understand what it is that will protect this nation. It's, it's not a bunch of Christians writing to the Prime Minister. It's not a bunch of you know, people um, campaigning down a certain particular moral tract. What it is that will protect this nation is a Holy Spirit revival of generosity in the heart of Christians. And I don't say that based on my opinion. I say that based on the, the, the opinion of a 5th century emperor of Rome. He said, that's the very thing that's stopping us. This grace that was on the Macedonian church. It's the very thing that's keeping the, you know, the Christian ethic in our society. Um, he goes on and says, in the midst of very severe trials, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. These oxymorons, aren't they? Joy and poverty generosity and, 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 and what seems poverty how do these things work together like the, 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 these things they don't, they don't seem to marry up he goes on and says for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability they gave not just what they were able they gave that but then they gave more than they were able what does that mean that means that they adjusted their lifestyle for the purpose of giving. <laughs> that means they didn't just say, well, this is what I can afford. They said, you know something, we're going to go without. We're going to go without that. We're going to stop doing that. We're going to put that to one side so we can give. And I want to suggest to you that what we have here is the model for New Testament giving. Jesus spoke only once about tithing. He mentions it in Luke eleven forty two, and he seems to speak positively about it. But uh, you know, under the Old Testament, they had to tithe. We live in the New Testament, and clearly, you know, Jesus isn't anti the notion because, as I say, in Luke two forty, uh, in Luke eleven forty two, he, he speaks positively about it. But but I want to suggest to you that you can get to a point in your life where you can afford to tithe. You can get to a point in your life, particularly somebody like myself who started tithing at the age of 12, I've never not tithed in my entire life, and so you simply structure your life so that the tithe is, is there. But, but, but that's not New Testament giving, folks. New Testament giving is when you say, well, you know something, I'm going to go without. I'm not going to do that now. That's now going to be jettisoned from my life, so I have greater capacity to give. I want to suggest to you that if that's not the pattern, if that's not the process of the New Testament church, then what we have is a New Testament church without the Holy Spirit. Because this is a gift from God. And what we have is a whole bunch of people, you know, rallying, saying, stop, 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 stop. But they're doing so from the smallness of their own heart and not from a generous, large perspective. And it's the generous, large perspective of heart that's going to be the savior, folks, of our world. 
It's that, 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 that sense in which we want to be part and belong with God through this whole process. He goes on and says this, Entirely on their own, they urged, they pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. Urgently, he says, they urgently, they, 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 they didn't wait for a better time. They didn't say, well, you know, we've had all these expenses, been holidays, you know, not right now. Come back and see me in a few weeks, you know. Uh, come, come, come back uh, next year when I've got this out of the way and that out of the way. No, no, there was an urgency about it. There was an immediacy in their hearts concerning this matter. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as they earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in love, we have, uh, that we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. See that you also excel. Do we excel in the grace of giving? Is this something that we pursue? Is this something that we think about? Is this something we say, well, I, I don't really need that. I can give that. Well, you know, I know I'm hoping for that, but you know something I can say, I, I, I can go without that. I can, is that something that's in our minds that we are pursuing? I want to contrast this story of great joy and great revival with another story in the New Testament that ends in sadness. Uh, it, it seems to be completely the opposite to this story. And I, I want to visit it for a few moments just to draw out the, the contrast, to draw out the difference and to see whether or not you can see anything of yourself in the contrast. You know, sometimes when you hold something up against, when a white against black, you can see it clearly. And you might not be able to perhaps grasp the spirit of that clearly. So I'm going to contrast it against another story that almost, well, it, it seems to be the, the exact opposite kind of spirit. It's a story that uh, many of you no doubt would be familiar with. It's a story that uh, happened in the life of Jesus. I'm going to take Mark 10 as our, uh, it's mentioned a couple of times. I'm going to take Mark 10 as, as the one where we, uh, we study. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him and said, Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, wouldn't that be fantastic, right? Wouldn't you love to go to work tomorrow? And someone come running up to you and go, you know, uh, Sam, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal What would you say? Seriously, what would you say? Someone came up to you, Gary, and said, Gary, you're a good bloke, aren't you? I think so. <laughs> what must I do to inherit eternal life? What would you say? Yeah, I'll tell you what I'd say. Right? I, this, I, I'd say, um, believe in your heart that Jesus is risen from the dead. Confess with your lips that he is saved, that he, that he is Lord, and you'll be saved, right? Now, I got that from somewhere, for sure. <laughs> but that's what I would say. Because that's what, you know, that's, uh, how do you get saved? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That's what the Bible says, Romans, right? So what does Jesus say? Someone walks up to him and says, hey, you're a good bloke, Greg. What, what do I need to do to get saved? And Jesus' response is just, I don't know. It's, it's, initially, it's bewildering. As you dig into it a little bit deeper, it, it becomes so profound, right, that the profundity of it is so impressive 
that you almost miss the application of it. Jesus' response is so, it's so mind-blowing. Right? It's easy, and I'll help you here in a moment, because it's so easy for us to just go, he did what? <laughs> like, he said what? <laughs> like, how do you do that? How does, how does that work? And, and, and we, it's, it's so impressive that we can almost lose sight of the fact that there's an implication on, on, on me. Look, look what Jesus says. This bloke comes and says, hey, you're a good, you know, you're a good teacher. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so teach me this. And Jesus says, um, Jesus says, why do you call me good? <laughs> that wasn't the question, really. <laughs> why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. So there you go. Next time someone comes up to you and says, so how are you feeling, John? You say, good. I say, ah, oh, you're a liar. <laughs> no one's good but God. <laughs> Stop that. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> like, this is the weirdest response. It's kind of like Jesus misses the point. Someone comes to you and says, hey, um, Excuse me, sir, how can I get saved? And you say, why do you call me sir? Oh, okay, mister, excuse me, mister, like, you know, that's not the point of the, uh, of the inquiry, you know. What must I do to be saved is the question. But that's not what, just, just is bizarre. Like, oh, I find this just, you know, almost off with the pixies. Uh, why do you call me good? No one's good but God. He says, you know the commandments. Don't murder, commit adultery, steal, lie, um, honor your mother and father. Teacher, he declared, I've kept all these since I was a boy. And he had. But this is what Jesus is saying. See, this is the crux of the matter. Jesus says to him, you think you're good it's not about good you've come to me saying I'm good because you worry about good am I good enough some of you have thought that what is the standard do I make it and Jesus digs it's profound I mean you know it's Jesus he digs right to the bottom of the issue gets through all of the pretense and basically says your good's not good enough but neither is anybody else's you are obsessed with good you see he would have been a model member of the church this guy he'd have been great I don't know where Hillsy's gone but Hillsy this guy would have been good enough to marry your daughter <laughs> as he sits in the mother's room What a great husband and father he is. <laughs> this, this, this was the guy you were looking for, you know. I mean, he was successful. Uh, he, he, you know, he had it together. He, he, was, he was a good guy. He's the kind of bloke that, you know, we want him as, as a member of our church. We want him as, our, as my son-in-law. I, I want this guy. <laughs> Yet Jesus perceives something that I wonder if is not 
evident in all of us. He perceived that this man's material wealth and moral goodness, his success and self-righteousness, have fused together in the darkness of his heart and have formed an alloy, a, a metal, an armor plating that has kept him from the grace of God. He has, he has a heart that is impenetrable to the grace that the church at Macedonia experienced. His wealth and success, his experience, had taught him one thing. And I wonder if it's taught you the same. That I can set my heart to set a, a goal and, p and pursue just about anything. I've ticked so many things off the list. You know, I go to church, I pay my tithe. He would have done all of that. You know, I, I, I do this, I, I, I don't commit adultery, I don't murder. I, he'd have been a great boss, he, he'd have been a great employee. I, I, I've got the list, the do thing happening, the, the to do thing happening. So Jesus, what is it? You give me it and I'll achieve it. And what Jesus is saying to him is that, man, your self-righteousness and your success have destroyed your heart. You, you, you've got to understand that this is not about what you can achieve. See, it says this. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. That was not some kind of curt, disrespectful response. That wasn't a ha-ha, I'm smarter than you kind of answer. Jesus loved him and is, and is searching deep into his heart to bring out what the real issue here is. How many know that the issue is seldom the issue? How many know what people say is seldom what the, the real matter of uh, uh, the heart of the, 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 the fact really is? But Jesus in his profound wisdom goes right to it. He says, one thing you lack. Oh, really? What's that? That's what I'm looking for. That's what I asked you about, the one thing. What is the one thing? And so Jesus goes for something that he's never going to be able to do. He says, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. <laughs> this man, this, the man's face fell. He went away sad for he had great wealth. <laughs> and how many of you in this room would not be exactly the same? If you came here this morning, you said, what must I do to get to heaven? What must I do to follow God? And I said to you, go and sell everything you have, give it away. And come and volunteer your time. How many of you would go, who's he kidding? <laughs> there's bills to pay, there's things to do. And, and, and you'd just go, well, that, you know, you'd, you'd cut that off and you'd, you'd move on. And, and, and because of that, you can read that and you can think, oh, well, Jesus is talking to him. He's not talking to me and there's truth in that. I don't think Jesus is telling everybody in this room to sell all they have and, 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 and give it away. I'm not suggesting that. But there is an implication here. There is a principle. There is an idea Jesus communicating something that you must come under. You must bring your life under this if you are going to be <clears throat> a follower of Jesus Christ. And I, and I hope that you didn't miss the implication of this because we do see these, these, these two ideas juxtaposition. They're, 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 they're contrasted here. The church in Macedonia and the rich young ruler, joy and sadness, what was, the, what, what, what was the issue that, that drew this, this opposition between these two ideas? 
See, money and wealth have a unique spiritual danger because nothing reinforces the illusion of self-reliance more than wealth. The issue here is simply an issue of trust. Jesus said in the next few verses, he talks about the fact that a rich man, you know, uh, it's harder for him to go through the eye of a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, and, you know, you might go, well, that's, that's all very well for the rich people, but whatever. But, but you've got to understand the heart of what Jesus is saying because rich is, you know, it's such, a, uh, it's such an interesting term. Like, who's rich, you know? No, no one in this room is rich. You'll never find anybody who thinks they're rich. Perhaps outside of about 10 people on the planet, if of course, if you do an over, overall view, everybody in this room is obscenely wealthy compared to the 95% of the population of the earth. But we don't feel that. I understand that. We don't feel that. So we read that and we go, oh, that's, that's over here. And, and so we've got to get to the root of the, of the matter. We've got to get to what Jesus is saying here. Um, the implication to you and to I. You see, we can live with fear. We can, we can live with the fear of, you know, will I have enough? Will I be good enough? We can live with this fear of insufficiency or this fear that somehow I'm inferior. And many of us live with this fear. Some of you even here this morning are struggling with the, the fear of whether or not I, I'm good enough for heaven, you know, whether or not I'm good enough to be in church even, whether or not, I, I'm, whether or not I'm good enough to be part of this group or whether or not, you know, what, what do I need? What, what, what's, what's the parameters? Where, where are the finish lines? And Jesus says, no, no, you, you don't get it. You don't get it. And the disciples didn't get it. They said to Jesus, well, who can be saved? If this boat doesn't make it, well, we don't make it. We're not as good as him. And Jesus said, you're right. Who can be saved? Nobody. But then he says this. With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. See, see the issue is not about what you can do. The issue is about what he's done. And, and, and that's... That's the crux of the matter. That's, that's the grace in the issue. See, if you're going to follow after Jesus, and you're going to recognize and get that revelation, get that understanding of just how much, you need the grace of God. See, that's the issue. Just how naked and hopeless and, and downright... Um, uh, uh, vain all of our attempts are to be good there is no good folks there is no good forget good you've got to appreciate just how um, how deep the need is we have for God and sometimes in the world that we live in we see God as an add-on you know, as I'm missing something, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. What is it I miss? Oh, I miss God. I need to bring God in equation. And we're going to say, no, you don't get it. You can't just add me in. So you bring God in the equation and everything else seems a waste of time. Paul said, I count everything else but dung to the surpassing greatness of the knowledge of the grace of God. It's not that somehow I bring him into my world. It's that I enter into his world and I become his. And in so doing, I go, wow, wow. Everything I have in this world is just so menial in comparison. It's so worthless in comparison. So I'm able to give. I'm able to adjust my lifestyle. I'm able to deal with the assets and what this world says is valuable in such a way that it doesn't really matter to me. 
That's the grace of God in your heart. You can't do that by some kind of imposed discipline. You can't do that because someone gives you this great story that, you know, there's a huge need and we can do something about it. You do that because you understand the desperation of your need and the depth of God's love and the parameters of his future for your life. That your trust is not in stuff. So you've been told your entire life, jobs and growth, jobs and growth, jobs and growth. You know? It's about jobs and it's all about material things. It's all about finances. It's what you need to survive. That's where your trust goes. So you look at the, the God of money and say, well, can I do this? Let me just have a look, see if I can do this. And our trust is there. And what Jesus is saying, this man, sir, you're a good person, but that's not the point. You can give out of your surplus. You know, you can give so much more than others. You can tithe and be generous and still have your trust in stuff. The issue is not the amount. The issue is where does your trust lie? Now, when your trust lies in God, there's evidence of that. It's just not some ethereal statement, you know, well, my trust is in the Lord. No, no, if your trust is in God, then moments like today where we're going to have a vision offering to propel our church forward and to fund all kinds of great um, you know, initiatives and so on and so forth. Yeah, you get behind that. You don't get behind that because you go, oh, I'm right into that. Oh, I need that. You get into it because your heart, there is a grace of liberality. There is a sense of, wow, God has done so much for me. There's nothing I could do that would, in the, that, that would repay him. But out of, out of that sense of gratefulness and thankfulness, I just want to be part of it. You see, the, the question really is this. Giving. Do I give enough to feel generous or do I give enough to stop trusting in wealth? What giving does, folks, what giving does, it arrests the process of trusting in wealth because we all fall into this trap. I fall into it, you fall into it. Let's just be honest. You know, the more you get away from God and the more you get into the things of this world, the more you just realize what a, uh, an overarching God finance is. And so it has to be addressed. And matters like today, address it. Things like today, address it. They say, no, 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 I'm not gonna fall into the system of this world. I'm going to turn my trust to God. And you take a sum and you say, well, God, this is a representation of that. And it's a miracle. So it brings about a miracle supply in your life. And, uh, and of course, it, it, it enables all kinds of things to happen in the terms of this world. Um, <clears throat> Jesus finishes up saying this because the disciples go, oh, but Jesus, you know, what about this? And he says, I tell you, Jesus replied, no man who ever left his home or brother, sister or mother, father or children of fields for me and for the gospel will father receive a hundred times much more in this present age home brothers mothers sisters children fields along with persecution uh so in other words i don't think this uh, it's not going to be an easy ride in this age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first jesus says many of you who think many of you who think that those people are there are actually in fact here and those people who you think they're in actual fact, are here. Uh, I just want to make one statement and we're going to close. Um, 
people who don't give more often than not don't give out of fear you know a fear of not having enough fear of missing out FOMO I think it's called today fear of missing out I don't want to miss out on this I don't want to miss out on that and, 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 I, and I, I understand that and it's like Jesus slaps that in the, in the side of the face real quick you know in this world right now we have five senses I think you know you know how it all goes uh, touch and taste and so forth smell and sight there's coming, an, there's coming a day there's coming a, a, a time and it's not that far away um, when we will have new bodies we will inherit eternal life and some of you think that when we do that we can't hug anymore because you know Jesus passed through rooms you know <laughs> some of you think that that it'll just be some kind of esoteric weird type of spirit existence you know that spirits are there but they're kind of only you're not really there there's a spiritual world but you know it's not as real this is the real world I want to suggest to you the opposite I want to suggest to you there's coming a day when you will not have just five senses now I don't I can't obviously um, characterize this clearly but the insinuation is this that in your resurrected body you're not just going to have sight and smell and taste and it's going to be so much more maybe you have a thousand senses I don't know what I'm simply saying is this what you experience then will make what you are now seem like a vegetable in comparison right what you are now will seem like a potato in comparison to what you'll experience then don't put all your eggs or all your vegetables <laughs> in the one in this world because this world we're going to be out of here before you know it you know in the overall scheme of things life's a very short thing and you can get all kinds of fearful based on your five senses somehow somehow you know being um, being denied not recognizing that there is coming a time that will look what you experience now and you look at it and you'll go I can't even believe that you know that was all of my heart when, when what I know now and what I can experience now we'll be able to hug and we'll be able to enjoy one another at a depth that we got no comprehension of right now but I can tell you this the experience of your life is about to go through the roof in that night in that moment in that day on that day when there is no more time and it's towards that day that we keep our minds it's towards that day it's towards him and that day that we live this day and in so doing we can be released from its shackles we're going to stand in just a moment and uh I'm going to pray. And uh, we've got a whole bunch of, you know, things that, that, that we are wanting to fund and achieve. And look, it really wasn't my desire this morning to focus on that simply because that's not what's going to redeem our nation. It's this. It's your heart. And I, I implore you this morning, if you struggle, that's okay. We all struggle. But push through because on the other side is this understanding this grace that was on the Macedonian church that's characterized by a joy 
unspeakable and a glory that right now your comprehension will struggle to get its hands around. Father, we want to step out by faith. We want to move from trusting in this world to trusting in the next world. So as we take the very thing that this world is built upon and we bring it to you, Lord, as a representation of the next world, I pray that this grace that we read about in the church at Macedonia would be synonymous with the church here in Ipswich. In fact, the church in this nation, I ask in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen.